Father, thank you. Thank you for the sunshine, the sunshine of your love and for the fact that your son, our Savior, is still standing, still standing uh, despite the assaults of the evil one, still standing for us and interceding on our behalf in heaven at your throne. Lord, we pray that uh, as we gather and read the, your word and how uh, you have revealed yourself to us in this book of Hebrews, that you would point us more fervently to our Savior who stands in our place and on our behalf. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, we are getting into some of the best parts of Hebrews, the most uh, well-known parts, especially chapter 11, and uh, where we get into the so-called Hall of Faith, all these great um, Old Testament saints. And as we're thinking about role models, exemplars in the faith, I wanted to start um, by citing that in a 19, 2019 survey, respondents identified their top role models. Okay, so people were asked, who's your top role model? And this is just how it added up in this uh, order. Dad, number one, all right, woo! Mom, number two, okay? Very close, I understand, very, very close. Um, teacher, professor, number three. Celebrity, number four. A coach or another instructor, number five. A historical figure, number six. Manager or boss, number seven. Pastor or youth leader, number eight. Family friend, nine, or just a, a friend in general, number 10. Uh, this was just role models in general, but I'm, I'm curious for you all, beyond your, your parents, um, who is someone who's been a positive role model of the faith for you? Could be somebody that you know, could be um, somebody from history or what have you. I'm just curious, outside of your, your own mom and dad, um, who's been a, a really positive role model for you? Anybody care to share? Yeah, Esther. My fourth grade teacher. Oh, really? What was her name? Do you remember? Miss Martin. Miss Martin. And she was a role model in the faith. Yes. Yeah, was, were you at a Christian school or were you at a public yes, school? Yes. Oh, okay. She um, had this uh, time, she would read it right out of the Bible for us. Oh, great. And um, one of the books she picked was Esther. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> and that always made an impression. On yes. Me. But her biggest um, imprint that she had both on me and my brother was the fact that she never treated any of the, the kids in her class any differently. Mm. If there was any hurt going on mm -hmm. in anyone, she was there. She wow. had a heart so tender. Tender heart. Yeah. And she brought out the best in everybody. Well, Esther, I think much of that can be said about you as well. So, Ms. Martin did well. You know where I, I learned it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Hans and then Leslie, yeah. Um, a guy named Bill Miller. He's a, a lawyer down in Kalamazoo. Okay. Uh, He's also been a scout leader for about 35 years. Okay. Is he still with us? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, they all live in uh, Grand Rapids. Okay. And that big sky rise thing. Oh, wow. Okay. 32nd floor. It's beautiful. There you go. So he is somebody you can look up to. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Leslie, who were you going to say? Uh, my Sunday school teacher from, like, nursery school. Wow, yeah. And, and she taught various grades, so I, I couldn't tell you which grades she was in. Sure. But uh, her and her husband were very devout Christians, very yeah. strong in their faith. And they um, were foster parents. Hmm. And they fostered over 100 kids. Whoa! Wow. <laughs> and it just... You know, made an impression on me that there are people out there. I don't. I don't know that I could take a child into my home like that sure. and then 
have them maybe go back to the same situation they were right. in or whatever. But you did, I mean, you guys did foster kids, did you not? Well, we just had the one. Well, yeah. She was, she was a teenager. Sure, then, but, but even so. Uh, you know, just that, being able to do that. Yeah, made an impression on you, for sure. Yeah, Carl. I, I, had, uh, I It was a dark time in my life, and uh, I was introduced to this guy who, I had a sauna bath in my shop. Awesome. And I, uh, this guy uh, kind of made his way into my life coming into that sauna bath. You know, Interesting. And what I, I found there was a power of attraction with this guy. Hmm. You could warm your hands on the love that came out of him. Hmm. And he had this uh, effect on, and it was an acceptance, non judgmental. But still at the same time, you know, I had uh, a very pointed concept of what of life, hmm. you know, in the sense of, uh, of good and evil. Sure. You know, this kind of self, this kind of mind. So he did, he played a big role, and for 30 years he played a role. Wow. You know, and uh, I, I miss him dearly now. As a matter of fact, he was an Episcopalian. We won't hold it against all him. Of all things. Right. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But he, I, 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 was, uh, I was honored to be able to give the homily. At oh, his, interesting. At his, uh, his memorial. Mind, yeah, yeah. yeah wow. Was, but he was, he was just a beautiful, beautiful guy. Well, mm. isn't it interesting how, I mean, where people come from, where God brings people from to put into your life, whether it be, you know, in your, your place of business, whether it be, you know, in the scouts, Sunday school, all these different um, areas, teachers course. Um, we've all had folks in our lives who have had an impact and an influence. And as we turn to um, the section of Hebrews, we'll see how there are countless saints and exemplars of the faith going back to the Old Testament as well. And I think that they can also be um, uh, role models, if you will, for us too. So let's, uh, we're gonna pick up, um, <clears throat> spend a little time with the, the end of chapter 10. We kind of left off there last week with verse 32. So um, let me read there to the end of, the, end of that chapter. Recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what's promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So here, you remember last week we talked about how um, the, the preacher gives a stern word. He gave a hard word of warning because he sensed that they were becoming weary in the walk of faith and perhaps being tempted to walk away from it altogether. And so he, he did. He gave a hard word and said, listen, you can't do that. If, if you do that, you really are having a, um, you're, you're playing with fire in that case. Um, but part of now he wants to encourage them by saying, remember Remember the hardships that you endured. Remember what you went through for the sake of faith. And so, in a sense, number two on your handout, the preacher encourages the people to recall the hardships they endured for their first love, right? And in uh, the book of Revelation, the Lord says something similar. 
It says, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently, bearing up for my name's sake. You have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you've abandoned the love you had at first. So retaining that, that first love for the Lord, remembering even um, earlier in our, our walk of faith, remembering how, what it was like to, to live with Christ and to um, even endure difficulties and trials for him as he is here can be a great source of encouragement. So I wonder about that for you all. Like, are there ways in which you draw on your past? Are there ways in which you look back to your, your life of faith, your own life of faith and your own walk as an encouragement in the present? Does, the past, does your past still help you with your, your present? If so, how? Yeah. You know, the, the word remember, right? uh-huh. know, as an author, I, I kind of like words. Yes, right. Uh, remember, yep. you belong to something at yeah. one point, and yep. you're reestablishing yourself back. You're, you're putting those parts back into the, the, the yeah. as a member. Yeah. And it, yeah, there are. I remember, you know, as a child, I, uh, I loved easily at points, but someplace along the line, you know, I had teachers and parents, and I had, uh, you know, now governments and high school and all kinds of things that reshaped that, that piled up on top of that ability to be able to care and love for others. Mm. It got buried. Well, now at this point in my life now, I'm beginning to try to unwind. Sure, right. And remember myself back to that yeah. point in my life where Christ said, you know, become as a child. Often. Yeah, right. Not childish, but as a... Yes, right. <clears throat> that sense of wonder and of gratitude right. receiving, receiving yes. from him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, going back in our mind, going back in our memories to the ways that God has, has blessed us. So it's a, a source of strength, and it's one that I think we probably too often neglect even if you're a journaler, to go back into to old journals and, okay, try to, to recollect where was I, what was my thoughts, and how to see thus far has God brought me, right? He continued to provide for me. It's so interesting how often we'll, we'll pray, pray fervently to God. He answers the prayer, and then we're like, cool, moving on, right? And how rarely we go back and actually recall that, how he's been, how he's been faithful and provided for us. So this is what the preacher is exhorting and encouraging them to but also this, he says, remember the, um, the, in the translation it says, remember how you endured a hard struggle. And the Greek word there is athlesis, athlesis. And you can see naturally where the, the English root um, comes in. It's a, as a Greek word, it means battle or contest, but it's like athletic, okay? And as believers, we are engaged in the eternal high stakes game of life. In the eternal high-stakes game of life, Paul will especially pick up on this theme in 1 Corinthians 9 and elsewhere. He says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. To recognize that we are in, not a, I don't want to say the fight of our life or the fight for our life, because the, the battle's been fought, the victory is won, right? Um, and yet, having been claimed and called by God now, we are striving to um, to realize and to attain what we've already received from him. And to recognize it is a, camp, a contest. It is going to be a struggle. It is going to be a challenge in many ways. But that out of that challenge, out of that struggle, it's good because God is growing you and me and making us more and more the likeness of his son. Yep, Along with that personal struggle, there's also the ongoing struggle where Satan 
knows he's defeated, but he's holding on to as much territory as he thinks he can have. Right. I think that's where your passage in Revelation. I think in their pushing against evil, they began to circle the wagons. And first love could be my love for the Lord, or it could be his first love for the world. Sure. And I think I think Ephesus may have been guilty of that. Yeah. We maybe need to test ourselves now because yeah. as we're no longer in the driver's seat of our society, our temptation is to to withdraw where we're we're you might say we can be in predictable circumstances. Yeah, right. We kind of call the shots. Right. And I think he's saying, no, it's out there. Yeah. The struggle's out there. Yeah, yeah, we, that's true. We engage. And he's, he's summoning us to the struggle because there is, I think, a, a temptation there to, to flee from the struggle and say, you know what, how can I make this a little bit easier? If I didn't have to deal with all those, you know, sinners out in the world, certainly life would be easier. <laughs> Never mind the sinner who's in each and every one of our hearts, right? Um, but that's right. God's calling us outside, out, out to the world, to his first love. I love how you put that. Yeah, Pam. I love this call to remember because there's times in your faith where you can think back and remember mm-hmm. if you're reminded to do that. Yes. You know, of times when you're strong. And I love the, the part where he says, um, sometimes being partners with those so treated. Mm. You know, and it's times when you're on a mission trip or when you're helping somebody... Those are the times when you are, are, are sharing Christ's compassion right. and his encouragement. And just to, to bring him back to that memory of, yeah, yeah I, my faith was strong. Yeah. Know? Just that reminder. Absolutely. There's so many psalms that go in this direction. Psalms that appeal not just to God's great acts in the past, but to how he has intervened in our own in our own personal lives. Remembering back to in, in my life, going back into that situation, uh, I think it's a really good exercise to do, faith exercise, even to, you know, to, to write, write out some of those memories, recollections, and think about the ways that God has been faithful. There's the, um, I'll do this with the, the confirmation kids. Uh, maybe some of you have done this before, that exercise of using stones. There's the Ebenezer, the Ebenezer, the stone, the stone of remembrance um, that God has the people do when they're crossing the Jordan. And, um, it's the idea is they, they take the stones out of the water and they make uh, kind of cairns, little piles of the stones as a way of remembering and recollecting God's faithfulness. What would it look like for us to build Ebenezer's in our own life? And, you know, sometimes photos will do this, right? Pictures will do this. Things to commemorate those times when God was faithful so that we don't forget it. We need to, to mark those moments so that they don't just slip away. One thing that, that's so important about it, I think, is you have this storehouse of uh, wonderful acts that God has done in your own life. Yeah. And when you meet somebody that's struggling yeah. in similar areas, you can, you know, I know where you're coming from. I've right. been there. And right. you have, you know, that's not all there is. Yeah. You know, there's rescue and salvation. And, and health and the Lord. Yeah. Uh, our, our stories and the way of that God, the way in which the gospel, the good news has been refracted through your life is so powerful. I've been talking lately about uh, Rich Mullins. I shared, I was reading his biography and he has a great quote in there. He says, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian. I've grown in the faith, not because people explained the nuts and bolts of Christianity to me, to me but because they were nuts and bolts, right? Mm-hmm. Because they were nuts. Uh, that's interesting. But some of them are bolts too. Um, and 
God uses you, uses your story, not just the, the good things, but also the struggles and the failures in order to lift up and to encourage others. Very much so. Yes, Sally. I've kind of found over the years that worry, when you worry about something, you're making your own trouble. Mm. And it seems worse than it is because you're worrying about it. Sure. But if you trust God, like, you know, I'll take all the help you want to give me today. <laughs> then, you know, things work out fine and God blesses you, but, the, but worrying is so destructive. And you're making a lot of trouble that way. Sure. It comes so naturally. I mean, there's a reason Jesus speak, has, to, has to speak to it, right? Because it is just a natural human thing because we're frail creatures, vulnerable creatures. And I, don't know, I can't do anything else. At least I can worry. No, you can pray. Give it, give it to the Lord. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Often that, you know, what prevents me oftentimes from doing that loving thing, that caring thing, is fear. Yeah. Fear of not getting someone else's approval. Fear of, of, uh, of uh, being rejected. Sure. Uh, all kinds of different little things in there, you know, where it brings out the cowardice, you know, in us. Yeah. And where, and there's, for me, there's 365 fear knots in scripture. That's enough for one a day. There you go. So I like that. Thank fear you for. Not. Appreciate you doing that math for us. That was good. <laughs> I looked it up on Google. <laughs> Source of all. Well, so then the the um, virtue, if you will, the spiritual disposition that is emphasized here, and we'll see it multiple times through the rest of the book too, is endurance. In this contest, the, the utmost virtue required is endurance. So often emphasized. It's emphasized by our Lord. He says it in, in Luke 8. This is the parable of the sower. And in conclusion of that, he says, As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with endurance. Or I like the word stick to right? Stick to Like, Lord, I, all I'm trying to do today is just stick to it, right? Endurance doesn't always look like, or doesn't often look like, just, you know, I've, I've got it all together. I'm really powerful, but it's, it's the one bruised, and bloodied, but not beaten, because Jesus is the one who's upholding us, right? Who still stands us up. So that's, that's the, the source of our strength. All right, so let's get in now to chapter 11. We're just going to um, do the first part of it, um, and next week we'll, we'll continue the conversation. But this is the great section, as I say, the, the tour de force passage on the so-called hall of faith. Let me read just the, the opening few verses. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. All right, a few things about these first couple of verses. First of all, sometimes that first verse is used as kind of a definition of faith, and that's not exactly what it is. Commentators point this out. It's more talking about some of the gains the benefits, the blessings, things that come from faith, more so than a definition of faith. So what is faith? It's important how we understand it and define it. And there's different ways. I mean, people will, will talk about this. They'll say just, you know, have faith, believe. And believe in what? I don't know, you know. Or what they'll often say, believe in yourself. Believe in yourself. G.K. Chesterton has a great bit about this. He's like, 
he was talking with a guy who was an unbeliever. He's saying, I don't believe in God. I believe in believing in yourself. And Chesterton says to him, oh, I know people who believe in themselves more heroically than anyone you've ever found. Believers in self who are able to move mountains with their belief in the self. Do you know where they are? He says, where? He says, they are in the insane asylum. <laughs> so strong is their belief in themselves, they don't believe in anything else, and it drives them insane. That's not to say we shouldn't have some self-confidence and belief in ourselves. Of course, there's a, a place for that. But the belief, the faith that it's talking about here, of course, is very different. Sometimes people will say, well, is faith just a kind of intellectual assent? It's just knowing stuff. Faith is basically uh, equated with knowing historical knowledge and so forth. Well, certainly historical knowledge is important, biblical knowledge, knowledge of the, the teachings of the faith. But does that amount to, to true saving faith in itself? No. I mean, there's that famous passage from James, right? You believe that God is one. Good. So do who? The demons. The demons. Yeah. And shudder. So just, that's why sometimes in our Lutheran confessions, they call that demon faith. So, oh gosh, okay. Um, if it's merely that kind of historical or intellectual ascent. Um, other people will talk about faith as though it's just a blind leap of faith, right? And so faith in this respect is just, it's almost irrational. It's against all, all evidence or, you know, in, with a lack of any kind of reasonableness to it, you believe. Is that our faith? Are we just totally blind? Is it just totally irrational what we believe in? No. Like there is good historical and sound reasons for our faith too. It's not merely blind faith. That being said, there's always a place and a point where every, every person is going to take some sort of, of leap of faith, right? You're never going to have all of your, your P's and Q's, all your T's crossed and I's dotted. That's, that's the case. But let it be clear that as Christians, we don't have merely blind faith. Yes, we are sheep of our Savior, but that doesn't mean that we're just sheep that are going to go after any and everything uh, apart from any, any um, sense of evidence or certainty. So what is faith really? At its deepest level, faith is receptive trust in the Lord. Right? When scriptures talk about this kind of saving faith, it's because it's relational. To, to have faith as the scriptures talk about it, to have sola fide, be saved by faith alone, is to trust the word, the promises of God, to trust that he is for me. That encompasses and entails also the historical knowledge, right? Anyone that, a person that you're going to trust and know and love, you need to know something about them, right? <clears throat> but neither is that sufficient for it. Just because you might happen to know somebody's birthday or their favorite color or food, that doesn't add up to, to trust and to love. But uh, to know these things about God, ultimately it culminates in that trust, that receptive trust in him. So that's what we really mean when we're talking about faith. Does that make sense? Questions about, about faith or how we, how we talk about it, how we understand it? It's, yeah, Hans, Do we apply, apply the same ones to well, like our uh, role model people? You have faith in them. Sure. Is, is it the same... Um, it's Hans's question is when we use faith differently talking about like role models or examples is it, is it the same I said not exactly there's some aspects that are similar to it but specifically when we're talking about saving faith in God it's that receptive trust in his promises whereas there can be other aspects of that faith where you have confidence in somebody you trust in them um, you have a belief in, in, but not in them to save obviously 
So is that confusing general populace with that definition? I think there's a lot of confusion out in the world about what faith is and what we're talking about. It, it seems like it is kind of its own um, heroic achievement, where faith itself, Scripture tells us, is a gift. Right? Even our capacity to believe is not something that we generate in ourselves, but it comes to us as a, as a gift of God. Yeah. yeah. Carla and then Bob. And it's a very popular thing now just to have the word believe. Yeah. Posted here and there. <clears throat> believe what? Right. Believe in what? Yeah. Don't believe why. Yeah. There's no explanation. It's just that word hanging out. Just there. believe. Yeah. And belief, trust, faith always has an object. And that object is the Lord and his promises. Right. Yeah, Bob. Well, I think what Hans was at saying, there's some value to, um, I can believe someone in the same way, uh, more than a cent, really, really trust them. But where our saving faith is different is he said, above all gods. And, and I could believe in something so strongly it becomes my God, whatever yep. it is. And, and our point here is there's only one who will not fail. I think this is the biggest point too. I used to say to our students at the SEM, theology is a person. Mm, mm -hmm. he's, he's not ideas, he's a person. Right. And so assent to those ideas is actually, has to be a relationship with him. Yep. You, are, you are committed to him and to, you believe what he said is true. Yep, yep, that's right. It's always personal, it's always personal. Yeah, Carl. Sometimes, uh, you know, I wonder in Genesis, it talked about being created in the image of God. And of course, you know, we, we recognize that oftentimes as, and so much as, uh, well, yes, but, you know, we fell and we don't have that image anymore. But I wonder how much of that is retained in the sense of that concept of remembering and being reminded. Mm -hmm. uh, where I remember I was taking an organic chemistry class. And they, you know, these receptors would just be hanging there. And they, you know, they just floated around. They didn't know who they were, what they were doing. Suddenly, you know, this molecule would come through and it would go, wow, yeah, that's my purpose. It would recognize it. And I wonder if we're capable of recognizing clarity, you know, in scripture when it's true. Yeah. If we can recognize a truth and go, wow, yeah, yeah I already knew that. I just couldn't remember it. You know, it's, it's back there somewhere sure. in that part of me that came into this world with enough DNA to probably be able to, uh, to survive, you know, I mean. It, so we are receptors here. I'm trying to bring the molecule of God's word into it. Yeah, so I, I, uh, there's something there. We'll, we'll, let's workshop it. But I like where we're going with that. I never took organic chemistry, so. But, uh, no, yeah. You should. No. <laughs> So I became a pastor, so I didn't have to, to take those classes. But this is the, the way that faith is, is at work and what it means for us ultimately then to, to trust in God, to, to glom on to him, if you will, to cling to him. And this faith brings, says it's the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen, right? So it does bring to us and give us a, a conviction of the unseen. That doesn't mean that it's merely blind faith, but it, faith is a kind of vision, it's a capacity that we, we now are given by God to be able to see the unseen. You remember the famous words of, of Jesus after Thomas, doubting Thomas, sees him. Jesus says to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed, right? 
I love this quote from uh, Le Petit Prince, the little prince, Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. He says, <clears throat> right, yeah, right. He says, it's only with the heart that one can see rightly. What is essential is invisible to the eye. And this is where um, I think that the, the sciences are so valuable and so beautiful. Where they get into trouble is when it becomes what is sometimes called scientism. And scientism is the belief that all truth can be discovered through the scientific method, right? And that anything that isn't empirically verifiable um, or observable doesn't exist. And folks will easily poke holes in that with, okay, so show me love, right? Where's that? And then this you get in things, well, there's a love gene, uh, actually. Okay, really, guys. Um, <clears throat> there are, there's so much of life just in that kind of, um, everyday experience that is unseen and also on how much more so when it comes to uh, when it comes to the, the things of God and the most essential and most vital so lovely quote there the, what's most essential is invisible to the eye <clears throat> but then this it says <clears throat> by faith and by it the people of old received their commendation and uh, it's interesting the, the Greek word there is received their their testimony and who testified about these people of old? It's God himself. God himself has testified about these saints of old. Here comes. Bless you. Bless you. You're allergic to something. Yeah, exactly. What is this strange glowing orb in the sky? It causes me to sneeze. Uh, God himself testifies. This is liberating to us, that God testifies to our faith finally. I think of the uh, encounter that Jesus has with Peter after the resurrection. When, um, you know, when they'd finished breakfast and Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Simon's response, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And it's, I think it's Peter saying, listen, if it's just up to me, Jesus, you've seen full well how fickle I am. You know that I love you. What matters more than my testimony about you is your testimony about me. That the Lord knows those who are his, Scripture says. That's what we cling to, that he has testified for us. And again, Paul in 1 Corinthians 4 says, With me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. For I'm not aware of anything against myself, but guess what? I'm not thereby acquitted. This is how Paul's talking as he writes this. It's the Lord who judges me. It's freedom in that. And that's how he means. He doesn't mean like, oh, the Lord judges me and he judges me harshly. No, no. The fact is, the Lord is the one who testifies on my behalf. I don't know about anything against myself, but I'm not acquitted by that. What I lean on, what I count on, is the justification, the acquittal that comes from God. The one who knows me, knows my heart, and who has said, you are innocent. You are declared righteous because of my son. And I want to say this, that when it comes down to it, and when it comes to the, the source of creation, because uh, the preacher says in verse 3, by faith, we understand, it's interesting, he brings us into it, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what's seen was not made out of things that are visible. When it comes to the source of creation, everyone lives by faith. Everyone lives by faith. This is an important point to make as out maybe an apologetics point, in other words, the defense of the faith. Because again, going back to those who are enthralled to more of a scientism perspective, 
And again, I want to distinguish science and, and those who practice science, natural sciences, from this scientism, which is more of an ideology, right? If you are um, in that frame of mind, the scientism, you say, oh, there, there can't be a God who created all things. Where do you see that, right? Where can I, how can I test that? How can I experiment with that or what have you? The fact of the matter is, for all people, when you're talking about the source of creation, there's some faith there. I want to spend just a moment thinking about this because I, I think it's an important point that we too often just kind of surrender or we don't even start there. For instance, in conversations um, with folks who are really um, pushing uh, Darwinian evolution. Okay? Now, Darwinian evolution, in its like strongest forms, um, claims to give an explanation for how things are the way they are now. Right? Does it or can it explain why there is something rather than nothing? No, and it cannot. It starts from the presupposition that there's already some stuff here. Right? And we, we can bicker and argue about, well, how did the stuff turn into the stuff that we have today? But it, and to do that is already move past the most basic and fundamental point. Wait, why is there something rather than nothing? Evolution cannot and makes no claim to give an answer to that. And that's the most basic thing. Others will say, well, the Big Bang. Some of you may know this. The Big Bang was first posited, that idea was posited by a Catholic priest as a way of basically smuggling creation into um, the, the conversations that were happening among, among physicists. I mean, what did it sound like when God said, let there be light? It was a big bang. It was probably a big bang. <laughs> and that bang is still going to the ends of the earth. And that bang is still going to the ends of the earth. Um, and so you say a, a big bang. Well, who is, the, who is the one who brought that about, right? Something doesn't come from, from nothing unless you're talking about the ex nihilo, there's a good Latin term for you, out of nothing creation that comes from God. My point isn't saying that as Christians we don't have faith and other people have faith. No, it's that all of us, when it comes to the most fundamental question of existence, all of us live by faith and have no other choice. See? So it's not a question of whether or not you're going to have faith. It's, to Carla's point before, what's your faith going to be in? What do you believe? I've told the story before, but it's worth retelling. I enjoy it. Um, it's the day of uh, my wedding day, or maybe the day before. I think it must have been the day before I was going to the haircut place. I say it was the day before because if they messed up, you need a second chance the next day. <laughs> I go to a place out in California. It wasn't the guy that usually cut my hair, um, but he's talking. He found out that I was, I was in seminary at the time and studying to be a pastor and he starts talking about how, oh, I don't, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in all that mumbo-jumbo, blah, blah, blah. And so I asked him the obvious question, which is what we should always ask if somebody's going on about this sort of thing. You say, okay, well, you know, what do you believe in? I asked him, how, why do you, how do you believe that we got here? And he does kind of this you know, furtive glance side to side. Comes in close. You know, he's got the <laughs> knife to my neck, right? <laughs> Whatever you say. Um, he says, I'll tell you, aliens. <laughs> uh, and, right, I was like, cool, I'm glad we had this talk. Uh, <laughs> again, G.K. Chesterton says, those who believe, what is it? If they claim to believe in nothing, it just means that you believe in anything. Right. Mm. And so, um, there you go. All right, yeah, Cole, go well, the, the, the whole concept of creation 
you know, I don't know, the, the <coughs> idea of God being the totality of, of, of everything. I mean, yeah. The, the, just the, the, the energy in just my thought yeah. has some, you know, has some significance right. somewhere. It can be measured. Yeah. So the energy of God's thought of creation begins at, and then his word, which, you know, my word has a certain amount of energy going around here, sure. as small as it may be. And then the action of it all, you know, the thought, the word, the action, the deed of it all, uh, doesn't surprise me at all that, you know, that God is this total source of everything. Right. You know, the, of all energy, of everything. Right. And that thought created yeah. You know, that thought was the beginning of creation. It was very, I mean, even the person that put the paint on his walls in this room had some type of a creative thought. Well, you, I mean, you mentioned before about the image of God. And this is part of our being made in God's image, is that we are creative creatures. Creative creatures. That, yeah, that we reflect the creator in that. That we, we reflect the one who has made us in our creative expression. We reflect the creator in, in our consciousness and in our capacity to understand, to reason, and to speak. There's so many ways. And so, yeah, when, when you talk about creation and, and folks who want to, to poo-poo our biblical ideas, man, the wonder of the world, to look at it and to, to, to grasp just the beauty and the mystery of it, um, I don't know how you don't believe in God. That doesn't, now, I should say, that doesn't necessarily get you straight to Jesus, right? Uh, we, you need to take it another step. Um, there's people that believe in, in God or some kind of creator who don't believe in Jesus, but it's a start. I think it's important to demonstrate, like, we all are, have some kind of faith, so what are you going to believe in? Here's how, why we believe what we believe. Here's some of the reasons for the hope that's, that's in us. Yeah, yeah David. Um, when I was a youth pastor, pastor I... Um, we would always do a section. The two, the two most popular ones were on creation yeah. and our evolution, and of course, love, sex, and dating. <laughs> gray areas. That's what we always call it. Gray areas. Yeah. So, as we would study and get into the scriptures and a bit of science, and they would they would actually bring a lot of the notes from from school. Mm. Um, we learned to ask three questions, mm -hmm. and you know, there's. I think we know the answers. But it was interesting that their teachers couldn't, and they learned not to like the kids that came from St. Peter and others. <laughs> the three questions were these. Whence matter? Where does matter come from? Yep. As you said. Right. Okay, where did it come from? Right. How about whence force? Because they always said, well, there's a big bang or this. Where did that come from? Yeah. And the biggest one is whence life? Yeah. So from a crash, from an explosion comes life. Right. Show me one other instance. Right. And uh, though the kids could resonate with that. So it's, creation is still a matter of faith. Right. But what God has given us to prove that yeah. is stunning. It's, it's reasonable. It's very reasonable. It's not unreasonable. Yeah. That, that, very reasonable. And of course, the, the explanation that's so often given, um, as like numbers are just thrown out, goofy numbers, you know, billions and billions, what Carl Sagan always used to say. Billions and billions. Billions and billions. And um, that's kind of a... It's an end run to say, well, how, like you say, when's life? How does it end up like this? And there isn't really a good answer given. It's just, well, given enough time, anything can happen. It's like, okay, good. Lions still haven't won a Super Bowl, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> billions and billions. Billions and billions. 
so yeah, I, that's good. So when's matter, when's force, when's life? Yeah, going back to those basic things. I think that's a, a more useful way to go because when we get into the evolutionary stuff and that's where like you can, you can get into some, some sticky wickets there. Like go back even more basic. Let's just talk about where's life come from at all. Did I see your hand, Sally? Um, I think that you can't understand that without the power of the Holy Spirit. That, this is true. true. And if yes. you're, testi if no you're um, testifying to someone, Gotta have somebody over there praying for them. That's, <laughs> the you know, Holy that's a, you're exactly right. And so, you know, Sally, Sally's point, like, you don't believe this stuff without, apart from the Holy Spirit, right? Spiritual things are discerned by, by the Spirit. The natural man cannot understand or comprehend the things of God, it says. So there's no question, like, you can reason things to a T. You can make it as painfully crystalline clear as possible, but apart from God's work in the heart, like, Humans, we're very good at, at coming up with alternate explanations and excuses. Mm -hmm. We just, we absolutely are. Yeah, Bob? You said earlier the demons know they're not evolutionists. Sure, right. I mean, they know exactly who, when, and where. Right. And yet they don't follow him. Exactly. And so just knowing the who, when, and where is not ultimately going, that's not faith, true saving faith on, on its own. Hey, so our artificial intelligence now is going to become the next evolution of whatever you know, what right. we're doing, will not possess life. Right. Now, you know, it's, uh, we can take even the simplest thing, like a, I don't know, a Model T Ford, and you take all the parts off it and, you know, put a key in a gallon of gas on a big barrel, and you yep. start shaking it. Now, at what point is just the simplest thing like this going to drive out of there as a full drivable automobile with the key on and the yeah. gas in the tank and drives down the road, right. which is a, kind of a simplistic way of looking at yeah. it. But nevertheless, artificial intelligence does not have that breath yeah. of God's The ruach, yes. the, the spirit of life. The spirit, the breath of life. Yeah. That cannot be put in a machine. Yeah. People will point out um, that our human DNA is like 99.5, maybe more than that, percent similar to that of, of chimpanzees. Um, and it's, it's basically the same. Say, but it's such a reductionistic way of looking at humanity. What distinguishes us from other creatures, all of which are, are made by God, is not our DNA. What distinguishes us is, is the, the image of God yeah. dwells within us. And that uh, goes far beyond anything that you could merely measure. Uh, all right, so faith, trust in God and, and in his creation. Um, we're going to stop there today, and next week we'll get into all of the different saints of old in this hall of faith and see how God has worked in their lives. So thank you for joining us, and we'll see you then. Enjoy the sunshine.